Live from an abandoned Chachapoyan temple, this is Derailed Trains of Thought. Welcome, Tim. Uh, hello. It is humid here. It is very humid. Watch your step. Yeah, I, I, I feel like something like move or this i don't feel safe walking around here yeah i mean this place is old it's got lots of cobwebs and there seems to be things sticking out of the walls that yeah there's a hole they can see and i would not move quickly no i tread lightly tread carefully and hopefully the podcast will protect yeah, us luckily i haven't seen any snakes at least so that's good oh thank goodness yeah Anyways, Tim, how was your holidays? It was a holiday. <laughs> no, it was good. Fun time. You know, I don't know if you ever feel this way, especially since we since we had our, our Christmas like on Christmas Eve Eve, a lot, okay. of, a lot of family. Then we did more Christmas activities Christmas Eve. And then, you know, obviously Christmas Day, we yeah. just stayed at home when actually we did see some other family toward the end. But it felt like Christmas got extended this period. And then, you know, we have this long in between the holidays period where it's like this limbo yeah <laughs> um did you have that feeling I kind of limbo yeah because we were up skiing for most of that week you know and just hanging out and so you're like it's like you have just disappeared from normal life for five days uh. and then you come back and it's not quite normal yet because everything's still out of whack and again it's good limbo but simultaneously it starts to get back into swing of things eventually it is but it's very refreshing the nice thing for me this year is that, you know, sometimes after coming back into real life, it, it's kind of a drag. But this year, I have got like two big things I get to look forward to in January. Nice. Which are, first off, I've been uh, cast in a play. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm going to be... Um, you signed the whole thing for the podcast. <laughs> no. Uh, I've been cast as Robert Chiltern from the play An Ideal Husband by Oscar Wilde. So it's very much a kind of British uh, romantic comedy. If you've seen Importance of Being Earnest, you know kind of what Oscar Wilde's cheekiness is like. This one has a bit more drama, a bit more suspense, though, than uh, Importance of Being Earnest. is not quite. I, I think he calls that play uh, a silly play for serious people or something like that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's supposed to be kind of nonsense fun. Yeah. This one has some more weighty ideas in it, but it's, it's fun. I'm looking forward to I'm kind of the, the straight man in, nice. in a way. Um, the other thing, Nick... Yes. I don't know if you realize this. Oh, is there something important coming out? It's 2019. Yes. Not only, Nick, are we in the very year, but we are in the very <laughs> month in which Kingdom Hearts 3 is going to be released. We might have to have a whole episode of you just telling us how it is. <laughs> I mean, it's not like I haven't been waiting for this for pretty much the entire decade. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a long time coming. Yes. I mean, some people will say ever since Kingdom Hearts 2, I wouldn't say that because I was more realistic. Partly because Kingdom Hearts 2 actually had a pretty nice wrap-up. Like, you didn't feel like there were any loose threads at that point. And, um, you know, they were going to do kind of a, a mid-cool game and then a prequel game. And then it wasn't until the prequel game, Birth by Sleep in 2010, came out that kind of hinted, set the stage for this is what Kingdom Hearts 3 is going to be about, at least in part. In part. <laughs> and so that was, like I said, that was... Took about, a long time. About 10 years, yeah, 2010. So now 2019, finally, the next part in the Dark Seeker saga, which is what they call this, this, oh, nice. this arc, essentially, of Kingdom Hearts. There's probably going to be other Kingdom Hearts games down the road, but... When you're 50. <laughs> <laughs> but they say this this game is the end of this arc, basically. Okay, so um, it's complete story now. That's the idea. 
but they could still do other stories, but they would be new. Yes, they would probably still Sora and Donald and other Disney characters, but probably different antagonists. Okay, and crazy mythology. Probably. All right, awesome. So not that I'm obsessed or anything. So for our story school, we talk about Kingdom Hearts. No, <laughs> just joking. Not quite. But uh, welcome to Dural Trains of Thought. Yes. You're, in case you couldn't tell us, talking about plays and video games and stuff, it's a podcast about storytelling. Yes. And we are your hosts, Nick Hayden. And Timothy Deal. And let us go into our story school. All right, Timothy, this was your idea, and we uh, we actually um, previewed it last episode. Not last episode, back in Thanksgiving. Oh, was it? Th- oh, you're right. It was in Thanksgiving. Yes. <laughs> Again, we're in. The, we've been in that weird holiday limbo time. <laughs> it all is all the same. It all kind of morphs together and blends together. But yes, time we, compression. And back in Thanksgiving, we talked about why we were thankful for stories, and we also mentioned that we would be talking about the flip side of that. Sort of a flip side, the dangerous the side. The dark side. <laughs> the, uh, how there can be the idolatry of stories. And I felt like we should do two disclaimers here at the start of this, Nick. Go for it. One, we don't really advertise, we've said this before, but we don't really advertise this podcast as a Christian-focused podcast. No. It's about stories. And, and we happen to be Christians. And we happen <laughs> to be Christians. And so we can't help but talk about our yeah. Christianity this when we talk about stories. And this particular conversation, I think, will... Touch that quite a bit. Yes, deal a lot with that. So obviously, if you're not Christian, you're more than welcome to listen to this, but you may not get the same thing out of it. That's where we're coming from. That's where we're coming from. The second thing is, just to kind of keep in mind, this is, does not negate what we talked about in episode 93. No. I don't want to say that we're going to be like, no, stories are awful. We're, we're, we're done with this podcast. <laughs> Not, this is now the history podcast. <laughs> Which wouldn't make sense because history is his story. It's well, also but story. it's true. <laughs> I don't know. But I do think it's important for us, especially people who are big into... Deeply invested. Deeply invested into storytelling, creativity, whether you're an avid fan boy or fangirl or whether you're an, an aspiring author mm-hmm. or filmmaker... I think these are questions that we all have to kind of remind ourselves about. Well, because every good thing can be twisted or could be out of order, out of context. Right. Because stories are good, and we've made that very clearly two episodes ago. Yes. And nature is good, but you you don't want to be worshiping trees. No. Sports can be good exercise and fun recreation, but no sports star is is worth spending all your time. We would not say the altar of the sports would be any better than the altar of the story. Yes. So, with that said, let's talk about uh, well, some aspects some of some aspects of that. How, how it shows itself. Yeah. And I guess one of the first things we talked about obsession. And I guess the other. Which is th- also a good OK Go song. OK. That's the printer one. Go. Yeah. Anyways, uh, random thought. <laughs> the printer one. I don't remember that one exactly. Oh, that was so good. Anyways. But a lot of these, it's easy for us to fall into ourselves. We're talking, we're preaching to ourselves as much as oh, anything. Yeah. I mean, obsession. Hello, I was just talking somewhat obsessively about Kingdom Hearts a minute ago. Um, if you've listened to this podcast, especially in the early years, there was an awful lot of lost. <laughs> <laughs> we had a loss in our minds a lot the first uh, 10 episodes or so. Yes, exactly. At, at least. But again, being interested in something is normal. You know, yes. we all have interests, but when it becomes disordered, when it becomes like the thing that your mind is always, you know, because stories are still fictional. They're still not real life. Mm-hmm. They're still not as important as... Real people. Real people. 
you know, or maybe real questions that should be, you know, if you're more invested in with how the magic system in some planet, in some world works versus how your bank account works in real life. <laughs> well, that's obviously a problem. Yes. And even sometimes what your neighbors do, it's very easy for, and this is something I struggle with sometimes, you know, nerds often are introverts. Yes. And it's easy, easier for us to kind of escape into the world of, of a story, of a franchise, of what have you, than sometimes interact with our own neighbors, mm-hmm. um, like literal neighbors next door, especially if you live in town, which, let's be honest, a lot of, not very many of the nerdish type are living out in the country. I mean, there are some, obviously, yeah. homeschoolers and, and whatnot. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean... There's a lot, a lot of people right next door to you in the city, and I was kind of convicted of this earlier this year, or not this year, 2018. The pastor did a whole uh, sermon series about this, and finally convicted me enough that I, I've made some first steps in it. I, I made some, some snacks for Christmas this year and, and handed them out to some not. neighbors. Finally, talked to some people I never talked to before. Not a whole lot, but yeah. it's a, it's a first step. And maybe now when I see them, if I see them during the summer walking around. You know, I can say hi, and yeah. that stuff is, it's important. It's important to break away from just the fictional and the created. And, and because obviously escapism, good escapism, like we talked about, you come back refreshed. The problem is if you never come back. Yes. Or you don't come back refreshed, you come back saying, when's the next time I can go, go back. Back, back into the world? You know, we've got to go back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and people worry about that in terms of like, VR. It's always been kind of mm-hmm. a concern about virtual reality stuff. But honestly, it can come up with, with anything. Anything. I think even even before screens and stuff. I mean, there's people read books to escape having to deal with people. Uh-huh. I've seen some conversations online about there was like a picture from the early 20th century. People on a subway train. Oh yeah, with the newspapers. All, everyone looking at the newspapers, not talking to each mm-hmm. other. And it's like that's no different from today in cell phones. People think cell phones are the cause of, you know, all this insular activity. No, I think that's just human nature. Yeah, I mean, it's programmed different. Well, yeah, because, obviously. Because cell phones, they purposely want your attention in a different way. Well, true, true. But not the same mechanics are there. It's interesting. I'm not sure how this, you know, Fortnite. You've heard of Fortnite. Sure. Everyone's heard of Fortnite. <laughs> I've never played it. I don't really care to. But I read somewhere that it's become super popular, partly because now the a lot of people's third place. Have you heard about idea of the third place. Yeah, I, I know you and I have talked about it. I don't remember if we talked about it on the podcast Which, or not. Third, you know, there's work and home. Those are two places. And then the third place is usually where you would gather. And modern life doesn't have a lot of these anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, it used to be like the bar or the church or the, you know, but it's, society's broken down. And I guess Fortnite for a lot of people, they don't go to play as much as to hang out with people. Mm. And again, a lot of video games been like that, but I guess that's a, a special appeal. And I, I'm not sure how that plays into this escapism obsession because you're still escaping to a fictional world to get along with people, and it's not quite the same. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's. I mean, MMOs always been like that. I mean, I, I've yeah, I've split mind about it because on the one hand, like even if it is online, I know there have been some pretty strong communities that come around it, and part of me is like, is it really any different from if you're doing that with a board game or watch, yeah, getting know. together to watch football? Or it might depend on the game itself and. 
how real the relationships really are. And and yeah, and what sort of people you wind up yeah. interacting Again, with. I've never played Fortnite. I'm all all here, say. Random thought about the the whole third place thing. That's actually what they named the teens library here in Auburn. Oh, nice. Or not? Because, we're not in Auburn. I'm sorry. Well, back in Auburn. In Kendallville, the library is one of the third places for especially high school students. They're always going there and mm-hmm. hanging out and playing games and because it's kind of their own place. I mean, and part of it there's is not, there's not many public places to go anymore. Yeah, I mean, because like we're so afraid of letting our kids go play in the streets. Well, especially in the winter. Well, too. yeah, that's true. Which in Indiana is always a thing. I do want to make sure we touch on talking about the the healthy escapism as a place of retreat. Back when um, the Lord of the Rings movies were first coming out, mm-hmm. which is close to the time I first read them, uh, I think I I was thinking the other realizing the other day I don't think I had actually finished Return of the King when I first saw Fellowship of the Ring in theaters. Oh, which, okay. Which made for kind of an interesting like when at the very end where it's like the adventure's not complete and for, even for me it wasn't. I don't think Frodo had even gotten to Mount Doom yet by the time I was when I was reading in Return of the King. Nice. So that was kind of fun. But anyway, that Christmas or birthday or whatever, mom got me a book called Finding God and Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. like a little book of little devotionals essentially. And one of them that always stuck with me was how places like Rivendell, obviously Rivendell is the last homely house, but even in The Hobbits, the uh, Bjorn. Oh yeah, Bjorn. Bjorn, Bjorn Bjorn's place. They're kind of like these little stop gates places on the on the journey. And it'd be very tempting for the hobbits to just stay there. But then yeah. if you just stayed at the one place, then the ring wouldn't be destroyed, the dragon wouldn't have been defeated, and eventually they would have been overrun. So these escapes, they're just a stopping place on our journey of life, essentially. There was, there was a phrase, I guess my pastor years ago used, I think it comes from Sheffield, England, but so often we rest from work instead of working from rest. Hmm. And I thought that was just an interesting way to phrase it, so that you rest in order to go work again, as opposed to you work in order so that you can go and Go and have free time. Uh huh. Anyway, I thought that was interesting. Just a way that, of changing. That is an interesting juxtaposition or flipping around. Yeah. Well, that's the that's the obsession from the um, audience perspective. Uh, yeah. I think it's it's also possible, although not quite as common, for the creators to kind of become obsessed with their own world. And this goes goes back to what we talked about in the how authors perceive themselves episode, mm-hmm. the kind of the pride in your own creation. You say like, look how great it is. How dare you say anything bad about it? And uh-huh. Going to another example from, from Tolkien would be Fionor. From the Silmarillion. From the Silmarillion, who I think is a very interesting character, thinking about it as a character from Tolkien. You know, Tolkien's known for creating this vast, yes. this vast fictional world and stuff that he was very meticulous about. But Fionor in the Silmarillion is one of the elves who creates the Silmarillion, actually, the act- these actual jewels that hold... Or the Silmarils. The Silmarils, that's right. Well, plural, it's Silmar... No, Silmarillion is the story of the Silmarils. Oh, okay. Thank yeah. you for correcting my token language <laughs> there. Yeah, so Fionor created the, the jewels called the Silmarils, and he obsesses over them. And when they get stolen, he will do anything mm-hmm. to get them back at the cost of the blood of anyone who gets in the way. Yeah. And I think it's just fascinating for someone who is who is probably aware of his own weaknesses as a creative person for Tolkien to create a character like this, that uh, you don't pour your entire identity into your work, into, into your own work. It's supplementing your view of yourself as a, uh, as a creation. We are all creations yeah. ourselves to thinking we are the ultimate creator when we're not. So that obsession just reminds me, I think that's also from the going back to the fan version. Hmm. Sometimes they so obsess over, they will like go crazy if the story doesn't go like they think it should. Yeah. 
or if other people don't understand it the right way or yeah there's definitely some fandoms that get very toxic when the story doesn't become what they think they're like no it's this it has to be this thing and it's it's so funny that like the preview will come out and you watch the comments on youtube and everyone's like that was the best thing you know like it's like the entire world was shook or Mm -hmm. like life changed from this three minute preview like I hope you're like I hope you're just exaggerating because <laughs> otherwise that's unfortunate. Uh huh. Yeah, and I I worry about that sometimes even when people really like not just a trailer but the actual product and mm-hmm. like you know this this saved my life and like I'm really sorry that your life was I mean this is a fun cartoon or web series or something but oh man I hope you find more there's so much more to then, this world than this thing even if it is cool. Yeah. I suppose just because stories have truth and, you know, people gravitate towards whatever. And hopefully stories, as authors, we want them, especially Christian authors, we want them to point towards the truth yes. and to God and not to the story itself. Like, hopefully it moves beyond that single thing. Now, hopefully the thing's interesting and beautiful and now, everything. did you listen to hear the World and Everything in it segment recently about the Messiah? Yes, I thought that was fascinating. So there's this thing in Chicago where they do, I don't remember what they call it. Uh, Do-it-yourself Messiah. Yeah, where they, they don't practice it at all. Anyone is welcome to come and join the choir. Handles Messiah. Ha- handles Messiah and sing it. What was interesting about it, they talked with several people who loved the music. They came every year, apparently. But not Christian at all. And they didn't, they like, the words don't even matter. They're like, yeah, it has some sort of historic significance, but, you know, it's just... Which is fascinating because obviously there's beauty. I mean, there's the Messiah is full of just scripture. Yeah, that's basically all it is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, pretty much. But the fact that it just... It's so beautiful. That that's what drew them to it. And it's just fascinating to me, like, you know, their eyes can see, but not... Your their eyes, however it says yeah, in yeah. the Bible. The, they can't, yeah. Their ears cannot hear. they cannot see and hearing they cannot hear. Yeah, that's that's wild to me, but it goes into again another the danger side of art the stories, which I'm going to call here the false mirror. Mm-hmm. Like we said, you know, fans sometimes really want them to see their version, but also sometimes a problem with making a fantasy world the way we want it, then it becomes not reflective of God's design. Yeah. And now we've said on this podcast sometimes what story should be is not necessarily showing the world as it is, but more like what it should be. And I think we have to clarify that. I realize sometimes it's not the way we think the world should be. Yeah. It's it's the way we understand from our biblical perspective what the world should be. And I think a related thing to this is, okay, I think this probably is more for younger, like teenage creators and young adults, but I think anyone, is they use story as in to validate, to, to, to validate or to live vicariously through their own creations. Mm-hmm. Again, I think also, don't get me wrong, like when I was writing Stern and Fred, I basically said, yeah, every character is basically me in some version. But <laughs> but simultaneously, that the point of the creation is not to say something true and beautiful, but to, you know, it's, um, what's the phrase for that? Wish fulfillment. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the story becomes wish fulfillment. You write it in order to do something you couldn't do otherwise. And again, I'm not sure that's always bad, but I think there's a, a deep danger in in that being the primary purpose of a story. Yeah. When we touched on that a bit back in the magic episode, mm. I think yeah, that we would have back in, that was in the teens. <laughs> um, but yeah, not just making cool powers or abilities because, you know, you want to have those things. It can make for an exciting story, but you, you do kind of evaluate your own heart on those things. I think romance stories can go that way for people writing them mm-hmm. or reading them. 
Christian Lamore, the the Harlequin style. <laughs> and I think I think more and more these days. I mean that that's I think that's always a, a concern. I think an even bigger concern with the way the cultural conversation these days has been going has been using stories as a way to validate perspectives on how we want to perceive ourselves mm. in terms of sexual identity. Yeah. Basically, there's this whole idea of like, no, we got to have these gay characters in there so people know that they can, you know, that this is okay and this is all right. And it's, it's stories as propaganda, honestly. That, that's what it is in, in a very subtle way of doing it. And obviously, Christians can be just as guilty of using stories as propaganda, too. Yes. We, we, we've, we've talked about that, too. We've, we've talked about that. But it's, it seems to be something that has been dominating a lot of nerd pop culture conversation lately. And again, a lot like that's it's a tricky thing because obviously stories, part of their power is to change people's view of the world. Oh, sure. And, and it's nothing wrong with writing a story that wants to move the window one way or not. I mean... Obviously, we would say you should. There's certain things you would move it towards and not towards, but yeah. But where it moves from, like I'm making an argument for this worldview versus I'm using it as a emotional escape to this world view. Yeah, and I'm not sure exactly. I don't know. I couldn't. It might be one of those things. If I read, I can tell. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But. No. I, but I think there is a fine line there. I mean, there's certainly. I think stories are obviously a very valid way of expressing, having a conversation yeah. with your readers, with your audience about an idea. And even if you don't agree with everything that an, an author, a creator's worldview says in a story, there's usually some enough universal truth that we all tap into and identify with. And hopefully we're engaging the story, and we've talked about that before, both emotionally and intellectually. Yeah. And I think it's important to remember that any story, any fictional universe is that it is a conversation. I think we have to be start raising red flags when we're like, man, I think this fictional world is just so much better than what God himself yeah. has actually made. When we start thinking that, we that's when we need to check ourselves. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what am I actually, how am I actually treating this fictional world? And as a creator saying, am I, am I writing this, creating this for the sake of, is it simply to please myself I, I don't know how to say it right because okay again of course you're pleasing yourself but there's a there's a certain way in which it's like it's self-fulfillment mm -hmm. and uh, again as a writer if you're aware of yourself i think you can tell when that's true mm -hmm. yeah uh, it's it's it really is a matter of the heart in a lot of ways yeah because like it might if, be the same story for two different people and it might not be it might read differently or have different or, effects or, or, or the, the reason they're writing it uh, yeah yeah and honestly, sometimes maybe you could just take it a different way depending on where you are spiritually. I know I've said I've had to step away. From, I remember back in, I think it was in high school or something, God actually had me fast from Star Wars-related mm -hmm. stuff for a while because I needed to just, it was consuming my thoughts too much. Yeah. I just needed to stop for, for yeah. a while. And it's not like I was going to conventions or, you know, uh, I mean, nothing, again, nothing wrong with that. I didn't like empty my bank account to buy Star Wars stuff. <laughs> yeah. It was like, yeah. But it, but it's still kind of these things that you get convicted about. It's like, mm -hmm. if this is what I'm living for, something's wrong. If, I, mm -hmm. if I'm not making room for other things, something's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. It's, the, it's out of place. Yes. Out of place. The last thing I wanted to kind of touch on for this conversation, we've been talking a lot about the creation and the consumption, looking at the at the fantasy world itself, and there's also a real world aspect to fandom, mm -hmm. and that is the culture, um, or or even if you're in a creative industry, yeah. there's something about 
creative people that like to think out, outside the box. Yeah. And sometimes, especially the, those who grew up in a more traditional conservative household family, the inspiration to think outside of the box kind of pushes you to different areas. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if this is one reason why a lot of Hollywood, LA culture, or New York culture is not very Christian yeah. these days. But I've definitely seen people who go into creative mediums who are Christian, mm-hmm. who kind of have this drift the longer they, they're kind of with that fandom yeah. or, or with that, that mindset. So I'm not going to name a name, but people could read between the lines here. There, there was um, at Taylor Upland, some of the kids of a prominent Christian singer from the 90s uh, went to school with, I knew uh, like okay. t- two of his daughters, they were in the same dorm as me. And one of them I, I got to know a little bit more because she went to the same Los Angeles film studies program that I did. So we compared notes yeah. and it was fun. But I remember one conversation in the dining commons where she commented that uh, their family used to be real strict about, you know, what things they could watch and things like that. And, but then at some point they, they started watching the Simpsons and that was a little too edgy. And then, then later on by now, that point they were kind of watching South park mm-hmm. and she was like, yeah, it's amazing. Some of the things my mom was laughing at now. And I just thought, huh, that's interesting. And it's, but, and I didn't think too much more of it. But then a few years later after, you know, graduating and stuff, this uh, Christian singer retired from, the Christian music industry and later came out as gay and his, his family broke up and stuff like that. And I think his daughter still supports that. Now, obviously this didn't happen because they started watching South park and granted, I don't know the family super well. and I don't know the singer personally at all, but it didn't make me wonder about when you have a lessening of moral standards in one way, how that becomes symptomatic in other ways. Well, I will just kind of go along with this, or I'll I'll just kind of do this. How one thing kind of slowly leading to this, until suddenly you're, what you're professing is not Orthodox Christianity anymore. Yeah. It's something, you know, you're you're trying to be too much like the people who like the same things that you like or yeah. work in the same industry that you work in, and it's all totally understandable. But when you're not practicing biblical Christianity anymore. I really question whether you're practicing Christianity at all. Yeah. And I think it is a danger, especially for humanities, for, you know, anyone working those, is that because so much of literature is about seeing people's all kinds of different viewpoints, mm-hmm. that you start thinking all viewpoints are equally true. Right. And from a Christian point of view, everyone has different viewpoints, but some things are true and some things are less true. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of Englishy people just drift that way because the you want to explore things you want in to explore a way that and, and again I think there's a certain amount of freedom Christians have to be able to read different points of view and whatever. But yeah, but where's your grounding? Is your grounding in experience and in story, or is it grounding in truth? Truth, yeah. And if for some reason that the truth is, isn't resonating with you as as well. I would say you need to maybe find the people that spark your imagination in spiritual matters because mm-hmm. that's important. And again, I, I don't want to say because like obviously I went to film school. I watched a lot of things that, you know, some other conservative Christians would not, you yeah. know, condone watching. And I think everyone has to find their boundaries in that. I just think it's if it's something that you're not intentional, if you grew up in like a super conservative world that really downplayed 
certain movies or certain TV shows yeah. or, or what have you. And you, you kind of, you wind up rejecting that. Cause like, look, no, th- these people are still exploring, you know, important ideas in a way that I can understand. Again, I think that there's room for certain Christians within reason to look at stories that explore darker themes mm-hmm. that have violence, that have maybe some sexuality. Yeah. I mean, obviously maybe not condoning what they, what's yeah. on screen, but as a means of study it within, within certain parameters. I yeah. mean, I, I have my limits and yeah, what and I, I think, think is appropriate. Yeah. I think anything there, but the key is to always have it grounded in the Bible. I mean, I, yeah. I'm kind of going back to the same point, but I think it's because it's so easy to drift. And it, this is on our, on our list of things, but, I think Christians, especially consumers of entertainment, we live in a very story saturated thing. And I see this, I help with the youth, is that we're going to have to be able to just say no, even though it's popular. Say, there are a bazillion stories in the world. You don't have to watch what everyone else is watching just because there's so much peer pressure to watch Mm -hmm. Game of Thrones or whatever the next cool thing is. And there's things that maybe we should be the oddball out because it has things in that are not worth a Christian's time. Yeah. A good story, always oh, good storytelling, does not, is not a get-out-of-jail-free card or should not be for a Christian viewer. Mm-hmm. Again, like you said, there's certain limits, but I think there's places where there's... Yeah. Pretty, you have to just call it... I think I might have mentioned this back in our episode about gratuitous content, but I had a film teacher that uh, was making a point from uh, Clockwork Orange, and he prefaced this by saying... Now, I hope you never see this, but in the clockwork, and he talked about like some framing or some visual element. And I, I asked him about that shortly afterwards. You know, I never had a film teacher say that. I hope you don't see this. And he said, well, you know, everyone has to come find their limits. And this was just one that Kubrick went too far in. And mm-hmm. I've always remembered that conversation because Clockwork Orange is still talked about. I was just listening to a podcast today with one of the creators of Phineas and Ferb mm-hmm. from a podcast about movies that made me. And um, the first couple he said there was like a comedy from the 80s I wasn't super familiar with, uh, The Music Man, The Magnificent Seven. You know, pretty understand. You can see how yeah. a creator of Phineas and Ferb would, you know, get inspiration yeah. from those things. But then he also mentioned a Clockwork Orange. And I was like, really? <laughs> really? <laughs> And I was like, so it's like, well, let me look up the synopsis. And just reading the synopsis of the Wikipedia alone kind of nauseated me. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I've every now and then I kind of reconsider as like, should I? But then I was like, no, no, I don't think so. I, d- I don't care if, if it did influence a lot of your visual thinking. It's not worth it for me. Yeah. I think also because there's so many other great sources of beauty and truth. They that, can show you the same sorts of... They can show you the same sorts of things. I mean, if, Other excellent stories. Yes, exactly. And even if, you know, maybe Clockwork Orange has some interesting things to say about psychiatry and dystopian governments, but I can get that from 1984 without the, being brutalized visually. I think the temptation for consumers is, A, if it's popular, I need to watch it because I need to be in. I need to be in the inner circle, as C.S. Lewis would say. Especially if you're a, like a film, film student. Yeah. Or also the idea of I should be, I should know all things. Yeah. I mean. Or if there's like a, a someone, that another creator that you admire is like, well, this person liked it. So obviously it can't be that bad, right? Yeah. I mean, my, my personal example is that like. Evangelion, we, we make fun of a lot on here, but like it was very impactful for me. But it's also one that I would recommend to very few people. Mm-hmm. There's a couple people like, okay, you're the sort of person you could get. Because it's it's right on that line of like too much. Right. And I, I'm game to watch some of the remake movies, but I don't think I ever want to see the series again. Yeah. And I, I always am tempted to, and then I'm like, ah, no, 
No, I'll just let the memory of what it what it was what it was be enough. Yeah, generally. Mm-hmm. So but we're going long here, story <laughs> school. I figured we would because this topic has been brewing, obviously, on my heart for a while. And I don't think there's enough people warning against this stuff, honestly. Yeah, and from a perspective of someone who is a creator, yeah. I mean, I think it's different if you're hearing this from someone who you know doesn't like anime at all. Yeah, and then all oh, oh, I mean is just fan service. It's like no, not I mean, yeah, there's some maybe but, a lot, but, but it's, <laughs> it's sort of like you're saying all movies are evil. It's like no, obviously movies can be used for good or bad. It depends entirely on how you think there's there's a number of our movies are way better than PG thirteen movies <laughs> as far as usefulness and watching. Yeah. There's yeah. not hard and fast rules about mm-hmm. this stuff. No. It'd be much more intelligent than you had to be. Or or not intelligent, um discerning. <laughs> yes. Yes, discerning. That's why I think it's it's important for creative people to talk with fellow creative people about keeping the stories in their rightful place. Mm-hmm. That, and again, if you're struggling, I've worked on this this past year myself. If you're struggling keeping the the love of the truth and of who God is, then find a find a speaker, find a podcast, find mm-hmm. a book that will kind of reignite that. Maybe you need to go back to C.S. Lewis or whoever first sparked that. But um, this last year, I've been listening to more of like Ravi Zacharias. Oh who, man, good stuff, guys. Oh yeah, really good stuff. He's he's an excellent storyteller. Even yes. If, even if he does tell some of the same stories <laughs> multiple times. Yes. He's, he's a very good storyteller. storyteller. Um, or the World Podcast, um, John Stone Street um, does good conversations or Listening In. Listening In is another one that they have conversations with a lot of different Christians. So if you want kind of a nice broad spectrum of theologians and songwriters and writers and stuff, one of the ones I heard in there, I wish I meant to look up who it was, but there was an author who said, stories are a drug. They can be a very powerful drug. And maybe there's some people who want to be involved in creative story fields that shouldn't be mm, because that's interesting because they might get sucked in actually that's a really good point i, I think that's true yeah so anyway uh, that's just a, a little word of caution again we're not gonna obviously we're not abandoning stories we love them you know in some ways the best the best creators are probably the ones that could walk away but don't yeah that's that's interesting <laughs> I mean, I was thinking today about uh, my boss's wife who uh, went to school to be a school teacher and then eventually got roped into the work doing bookkeeping yeah. for her husband's law practice. And you think in some ways, well, man, what a shame. But I mean, she does still manage the church library, but that's yeah. not the, quite the same thing. But I think she'd been doing that for about 50 years. Obviously, God had a, yeah. a different role in mind for her. Mm-hmm. So who happens. knows? Happens all the time. <laughs> Okay, so that was our story school, and we'll go to our soundtrack. Okay, it took me a long time to figure out what I wanted to go with here. But eventually I started thinking, Indiana Jones. He's, Indiana Jones. He's tracked down some idols. There weren't any Indiana Jones uh, games represented in OC Remix, though. I remember playing on the Nintendo, the Temple of Doom Nintendo game. It was hard. Oh, was it? Yeah. I, I imagine a lot of a lot of those NES games were not, they didn't hold your hand at all. No. Um, but I wound up, since they didn't have any Indiana Jones, I wound up with something from Tomb Raider. There was one Tomb Raider song, or remix on OC Remix, called Adventure is in the Air. 
which would have made a great title for our adventure episode. Yeah, exactly. This one is by Empty Mai, uh, which seems to be the only song he did on OC Remix, but it's kind of chill, but also kind of groovy. So hope you enjoy it. We're back. Hello. I hope you enjoyed that nice little chill. I enjoyed it. Good. For a second half, we'll do our take on Tales. All right, Tim. Uh, it's our second annual book retrospective. Book club retrospective or just books retrospective? Well, mainly book club, but some okay. additional stuff. So <laughs> let, let's go through our book club list. Our, our no pressure book club, a.k.a. let's pick a book for Nick to read. <laughs> I really enjoy it. <laughs> I like. I love this book club. Uh, it gives me to read so many books I wouldn't read otherwise. I, I'm glad because you're the our most faithful uh, reader. I, I think I, I read about half of the books. I think I have Fisher. I've read all the books so far. You, you have read. You're the only one, I think. Who's I think read there's all a couple books. of them that... I wish I hadn't, but there's only about two of those. <laughs> Not very many. I think no, we've like, actually had a pretty good track no, record. No, no. Generally, the books have been very good. Like, Sword in the Stone was like, 
this should have been way better. But that was uh, was that last that was, year? That was last, that was last year. So okay, so give us our rundown, Tim. Okay, so I think we started off the year 2018 with the Book of Three. The Book of Three. Real quick, guys, if you have some reading goal for 2019, some of these books are certainly worth adding, and we'll, we'll we'll tell you the ones you really should read. Yes. So the Book of Three is the first of the Chronicles of Prydain, which is a series that my sister Rachel bought for me for uh, Christmas last year. Well, last year being 2017. Written by Lloyd Alexander. Yes. The first two books were adapted as a movie by Disney. It was a box office bomb. The, the, the Black Cauldron. Yes. See, the second book is called Black Cauldron, correct? Right, right. And it's really kind of an agglomeration of the first two books, which I did read this. Well, we should talk about the Book of Three first. Okay. So the Book of Three is very young adultish. Yes. Almost, um, could almost be... Cho- almost like, middle school. Yeah. Almost middle school. I would say 12 years old is probably ideal. And it starts off kind of... It was interesting. Tim and I both had the same experience. It started off kind of slow, like, whatever. And then, like, this girl shows up, and we're like, this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> she brings a lot of character to it. The, the first couple of characters were like, yeah, okay. They're kind of traditional, like your, fancy. Y- your stubborn youth, and then there's a very Aragorn-like character, except without his awesomeness, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> he's, just, he's just kind of a noble Noble guy. dude, yeah. And then... and then um, What is her name? Eloini. But she's just fabulous. Yeah, she she's like uh, she's like Merida meets Edward from Cowboy Bebop. Okay, yeah, <laughs> sort of, and, not 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 quite as time. And then after that, then you you get quite the collection of interesting characters, which makes the book. Honestly. Yeah, there's kind of a, a golem like a furry Gurgi, right? Gurgi. He's a he's like a furry golem, except toward the end, he's he's not quite as savage. When we when he first shows up, he's like, oh, it's just a golem ripoff, and then he distinguishes himself. Mm-hmm. And then um, what's the the guy who plays the harp? But every time he lies, <laughs> it breaks. I'm not sure I could pronounce his name. <laughs> it's like a, there's a lot of Welsh names. A lot of Welsh names. Yeah, I think it's based on Welsh mythology. But anyways, it was it was an entertaining book. A quick read. Mm-hmm. Again, stick through the first couple of chapters if you feel like it's just too kind of ordinary, generic. generic. Yeah, yeah. I, I still don't really know why it's called the Book of Three exactly. There's a there's a book in there that's called the Book of Three, but it's not super important to the plot. Yeah, it was very odd. Yeah. title. Um, I did wind up reading the second book later that summer, um, The Black Cauldron, and it was also quite enjoyable, even shorter than The Book of Three, I think. I think I went flew through it in like a day. But definitely, it, I enjoyed it. It picked up from where the, the first book left off, and I'm looking forward to reading more in this so series. So yeah, it was just a fun, middle schoolish adventure, fantasy. Mm-hmm. If you enjoy YA and fantasy stuff, check it out. Yeah. All right, the next one was, I think, one that you suggested. Was Grendel? Grendel, Grendel yeah. was great. I, I, I only okay. got through the first two chapters of this let, one. Let me rephrase this. Okay, so Grendel is a retelling of Beowulf from Grendel's point of view. But you got to just, up front, it's written very philosophically. After it got done, I think I wrote up on my little review of it, it's kind of like Till We Had Faces written by an atheist. And by what I mean by that is Till We Have Faces by C.S. Lewis is the retelling of Greek myth, but reinterprets it kind of to tell Christian ideas about faith and stuff like that. Grendel very much is like a retelling of Grendel through the lens of like, what's the point of life and, you know, all the struggle and time. And it's super philosophical. It's, I mean, it's very clever and it's very interesting. But at the end of it, like intellectually, it was interesting. But I'm like, and what was the point? <laughs> Which I guess comes after a sort of atheist struggle, and they couldn't. But what was the point? Was the point? <laughs> yeah, and they, and they couldn't tell because Beowulf doesn't show up to the very end. Like most of it's 
Grendel before Beowulf shows up, like him going and harassing the villagers the vill- and tearing people's arms off and stuff like that. Okay. And he meets the dragon. The dragon has all this sort of nonsense about. And so I really couldn't tell what the point was, whether it was trying to be like, oh, there isn't a point or that time is a master. Or, I mean, there's all these big philosophical ideas that don't have any mooring and I couldn't tell which was winning. And at this point, having been most of your since I've read, it's kind of muddled. But I enjoyed reading it. I thought it was intellectually stimulating. So if the point was pointlessness, it didn't quite succeed at getting that pointlessness idea across to say the stranger. No, no. And uh, yeah, I felt like it was wrestling with different versions of like, what is what is the meaning of life? One's like, just struggle. And another one's like, it doesn't even matter. Like the dragon's all like, it doesn't even matter. And Grendel's like, if I struggle enough, maybe I'll have a meaning. I, I am who I am because I... I was made this way and I have to live out this savageness even though I don't like being savage. And then Beowulf comes and he's all about strength and power. And it's like all these philosophies combating each other, mm-hmm. but I don't know what to do with them at the end. Huh. So, again, not like you're fun. Like, for fun, go read Book of Three. <laughs> um, for like... To expose yourself to a kind of a different perspective I, I mean, And things. again, it's very well written. I mean, it's very heady in some ways. Mm. Not for everyone, but like... It kind of hit me at the right time. I thought it was interesting. Yeah, I'm not sure this is one. There's other books from the book club that I've missed that I'm, I want to go back to. I'm not sure this is one of them. This is the sort of thing that like I'll read and then like somehow it'll amalgamate my mind and becomes like the philosophy of some villain in some future novel. <laughs> <laughs> Given a few years to brew. Yeah, exactly. So... Well, the next we had On the Edge of the Dark Sea of Darkness. This is a fun book. <laughs> this is a lot of fun. This is by Andrew Peterson, who is also a Christian songwriter, but he's this is the first of, I don't have it in front of me, I think it's the Wing Feather Saga? Yes. Okay. It was a very fun book. I think this is one nominated by Greg. Yeah, and this is Young Adult. And this is another it's Young Adult. A little adult. older than... A little older than Book of Three, maybe mm, not a lot. Not necessarily. I would I would say they're on around the same level, honestly. Okay, because well, I mean, you've got they make maggot loaf. They do make maggot loaf. Like that is totally something that's designed for kids who love gross out it's humor. It's an interesting book, but there's some these about world building. Well, it's weird because like the story itself is like the the history of the world is silly. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Like the footnotes about how things came about. Well, what's what's the name of? I'm trying to remember. The, it's been a while now. I don't have it in front of me. The name of the world was Air We Are. Air We Are. Because apparently the the first man said woke up and said, "Well, here we are." <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, and they have all these footnotes on on the pages. I I love this this idea. I think I talked about it at some point where like it's like Tolkien esque footnotes, except they wind up being these ridiculous like stories about like how things are happening, and each one of them are like I don't know, they're just very nonsensical. But the present day story has real weight and meaning to it. Yeah, there's like real danger and real really like it's not it's not the throwaway prin- sort of stuff. They might get like Hitchhiker's Guide like whatever. Or like I think you said even the Princess Brides. Yeah. The the book version like made fun of the fairy tale th- stuff too no, much. No, but this is like like there's real real weight to everything. Mhm. In a kind of a strange world with weird like fang cows and <laughs> like so, certain things that sound like they come from out of a Henson thing. Yeah, you, you said. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, Jim Henson could have made this mo- a movie version of this book, and it would have been awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. And it's it's kind of an interesting series of if I guess we haven't really talked about the plot at all, but it follows this family set of uh, three kids, their mother and their grandfather. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, the grandfather used to be a pirate, apparently. Yeah, um, his grandfather is great. Yeah, I love the grandfather. He's so boisterous and getting mad, but definitely has soft spot for all of his grandkids. And they live on the edge of the dark sea of darkness. Yes, I mean the, with a name like that. And, and then there's um these what are the lizards called? Basically, they have taken over the country. They've been in charge for a couple ten years or something. Yeah, trolls aren't. aren't they're not. Just, they're not called. They're like lizards. Oh, you're right. The fang. I think they call yeah. them the fang. But I mean, there are trolls somewhere, but I don't. We didn't see many of them. Right. Yeah. And there's this carriage that takes kids away at night and mm-hmm. and yeah so definitely some very scary stakes but it's it's sort of a set of misadventures that get linked from one to the other at first i thought the structure was a little strange it was like two-thirds of the, of the book until i felt like we were on our main through fair i remember thinking that it almost came out like it was almost like a little adventure for each of the kids and then they all kind of yeah kind of the one was kind of it was kind of the girls, and then it was the one brother, then the other brother, and then they kind of all tied it back. Yeah. Also, Pete the Sock Man is awesome. <laughs> um, he's this crazy guy that wears socks on his hands, and mm-hmm. he ends up being important. But So if you want something that's based out of traditional mythology, you go with the Book of Three. If you want something that plays with a lot of fantasy conventions, but is also very heartfelt. And it's, very, it's pretty fresh, despite playing with conventions. Yes, and so that's uh, on the edge of the dark sea of darkness. It was a fun read. It was, and I, I had to say that some of the reveals at the end were particularly resonated with me. Just some of my thoughts. The Christian worldview comes out in some of the some of the ways things play out in the end. Yes, and even some little things along. Well, yeah, along I the way, just I yeah. I really noticed it with the like the one reveal at the end. Sure. Yeah, but, I know what you're talking about. Anyways. But not like it to hit you over the head. Just right. It's influenced, obviously. Yeah. From different now, it's it's yeah. It's a sort of it, thing. It's that, not Narnia. It's not Narnia, but it's definitely someone you can tell the influence of Tolkien yeah. on on certain like ideas of bittersweetness or yeah. So or service and stuff or service and yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. What was after that? I think next was Nathan's. Oh, descend into hell. Yeah, I was I was, was going to let you say it because I couldn't remember exactly the by I, Charles Williams. I knew hell was involved. Yep, descent into hell. This was a great book. Okay, well, <laughs> first off, you should say who Charles Williams is. Yeah, Charles Williams uh, was one of the Inklings, along with Lewis and Tolkien and Dorothy Sayers, and not one of the more the better known one. ones. I don't and think. again, I can see having read this book, I can see him not being as popular hmm. because it is harder to get. It is not as popular as as like pop culture. Pop popular. culture. It's not as yeah. It's more literary and it's more. I guess the best word is mysticism. There's more of a sense of mysticism about it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here's the setup. That there's this little town, and there's going to be this play, that this famous playwright, Stan Hope, I think his name is, wrote. But that's kind of the back. It's one of these stories, books, where you tell the plot, and you're like, that's not interesting. And you read it, and I'm like, oh. But meanwhile, there's one lady who's terrified of meeting her doppelganger. Like, she's seen this doppelganger of her coming towards her, and she'll have to run away. Her house fills her with fear. And then there's this other guy who starts pulling away from people and he finds sort of a, I guess the Wikipedia says a succubus, but basically like a, almost like a doppelganger version of this girl he likes, but it's just his own imagining version of her. Okay. And then there's this guy who years ago hung himself and he's wandering around and time compressed. Okay. Super hard to explain. <laughs> okay. But it's all really, there's basically a couple different themes and largely it's like bearing each other's burdens and how... Being in the real world, real things, and real people is kind of how you're meant to live. And then pulling away and creating your own version of the world, or like this lady, the one guy creates, is like a descent into hell. But there's a lot of mysticism and weird compressions and people die. It's, it's, a, it's a book that's near impossible to summarize. And it's a book that 
sometimes I could read a whole page and not quite wasn't quite sure what it meant, but as a whole it hung together amazingly well. Like mm. it just like it was more of an impression in some ways. Okay. Than easily explainable. I, if so, I got my write up, would you say compare this to a C.S. Lewis book for me? Is this like a screw tape letter sort of no, thing? No, it's or much a, okay. Great divorce take, kind of deal or take sci-fi trilogy. Take some of the sci-fi trilogy. But it's much more realistic. I mean, in the sense it's rooted in this one town at this one period of time. It's not... Oh, it's not an actual Descendant to Hell. No, no. It's okay. supernatural, but it's not... It's kind of like, take the weird dream sequence at the end of all Till We Have Faces. Okay. And expand parts of that into... Interweave that sort of stuff more often into a... Like, people trying to create a play story. <laughs> okay. Because there's one lady dying, and but like they'll have visions, uh, she'll go out, and there's be like weird like dream sequences, and it's very surreal in places. Mm. But it communicates spiritual truths. Okay, that's what the next question. You, you would still say call it Christian? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's again, it's more mysticism Christian, but it's, it's certainly the deep truths are very Christian. Okay. But some of his, you know, if you were to say this is exactly how it happened, I'd be like. Ugh. Yeah. But the and maybe even he wouldn't say and that. he might not even say it. But the like this surreal mysticism layer over the world to me just served to heighten these spiritual things that you could just say out loud. But by reading them in these ways, is like oh okay. Like honestly, mm. for weeks afterwards, the whole idea of bearing each other's burdens was completely different to me than it ever been. Interesting, fascinating book, rough book. I mean, to get into a big challenge. Or yeah, like. but. Like once I got into it, like I really enjoyed it, but it's it's dense. Okay. In some ways, Grendel and and Senator Hell are on the same level of sort of denseness. Yeah. But I would far recommend Descendant to Hell. Okay. For a lot of reasons. Interesting. It is kind of inter- the first four books that we did tackle this year were kind of like on a similar wavelength. Yeah. So, I mean, like we had two YA books and our two uh, literary books. So if anyone reads Descendant so to Hell, I really no one else read this one as far as I know. And I really wish someone would because I can't. It's hard to talk about without having someone actually having read it. Uh, okay. It's like one of those things you have to grok and then talk to someone else who grokked it and then you can kind of discuss. Grok. Grok is like to, to imbibe and to understand Wait, intuitively. Is that, is that a, r- a real word? Yeah, it's a real word. I, I thought for sure that was a reference to something I was. Well, thinking. it is too. It, it, I think um, Heinlein made it up, but it has since entered. Who did? Um, Robert Highland from like Stranger and Strange Land, science fiction author. Oh, okay. But it's since entered nerd language. Okay, well, I guess I'm not in that same nerd programmer nerd and stuff. Okay. okay, it's like it's like to, to understand intuitively or to like know well enough that you could dream in it. Like if you grok language, you could dream in that language. Oh, okay, it's okay. just kind of to absorb it. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. I'll bear that one in mind. All right. <laughs> so, anyways, just in hell. If you read, if you like Lewis and Tolkien and that sort of stuff, I, I think it's worth trying. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, after that, the book club floundered for a little bit. I have to admit, and we. So, I think the the next one I nominated, but because we were, it was getting kind of late in the year, I didn't actually <laughs> get that far into. Although I want to, because he will read it. I've been meaning to read this book since high school, <laughs> and because my mom had wanted me to read it. it. This is called The Ivy Tree. By what's her name? Mary Stewart. Yes. Ivy Tree was very good. I really enjoyed Ivy Tree. Yeah, like I said, I've started it. Um, I I put it off because of Christmas. I do want to get back into this one because what you how you described it kind of a Hitchcock book. Yeah, it's basically like me. yeah, it's like 
so it's first person, and it's basically this lady's found on the morn, mistaken for this other lady, and then she's going to be used to try to get this fortune. Basically, her this family convinces her because she looks like this other person yeah. to go along with the scheme. So that's the setup. But it is written very much for this suspense, this source, and like something's going to break at any moment. Very Hitchcockian feel for, which is amazingly hard, I would think, to actually write hmm. in that manner. And it's and as, it a, as a book, as, as opposed a book. to a screenplay. Yeah. And it's very tight. I mean, it's like, it just keeps one thing. And like, it's not like there's lots of plot lines. There's just one thing and it just moves forward. And it's always, you're like, what's going to happen next? And it's, it's very interesting. And Probably a hard one to talk about. Yeah, again. Because, because again, it's it's not quite a mystery, but there are elements of mystery in it, and there there are revelations like a mystery in it, which I can't even mm-hmm. allude to because I haven't read it yet. Sure, but not my normal thing to read. I would never have picked it up on my own. Very much enjoyed it. I think if you want sort of a suspense, and it's also very connected to the land. Like it has flowers and the the ranch in England, and I mean, it has a real sense of place of setting and that's really neat too would you say it's like a british gothic does it have gothic elements it's not really gothic no, no okay, okay no but it has a lot of that it's very pastoral in the sense of you get a real sense of the land mm-hmm. and great characterizations i mean she's spot on in in i mean there's four five six main characters and they're all just very well defined yeah the opening chapter i thought she was being very specific about like describing the person the manner no, he spoke with it's, and she's a i mean she's a very good writer very in control of what she's saying what she's explaining what she wants you to worry about and again a literary book you know it's not a fast read oh okay Interesting. I, I didn't realize she was considered a literary author. No, I don't know. I don't. I'm just saying, I just felt like literary in the sense that it's not popcorn. Okay. I mean, it, it's entertaining. It's not like deep meanings or anything necessarily, but, but it's, it's it, well, the language is very controlled. Mm-hmm. That's okay. what I mean. Okay. All right. And then our last one of the year, we've been, we've had a, a tradition of doing Dickens in December. Because that's what you should do with Dickens. <laughs> uh, particularly because he, he did a series, following off the popularity of A Christmas Carol, he did a series of holiday books. Although this one is winter themed, but it's really not. The one we did last it's like, year it's was New very. New Year, basically. Well, kind of. The last one was definitely on New Year's Eve. This one I felt was just in, happened to be in January. Yeah, did they say that, like, they're anniversary was right around the new year or something like that well maybe but it, it, it was very it was very loosely. not not a big part of it although honestly but I mean, when you have the holidays we talked this would have been a good pick with our last year's december episode about or the 2017 december episode about family yeah it was very much i think they he called it a fairy tale of the home and it was and that's what i really appreciated about it it was that it was very domestic yes and and really honored that sort of thing Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I was I was afraid toward the end. I was like, oh, this is going to count to have this modern thing where it's like you do what makes you feel happy and that's going to be the No, no. It's, he definitely upheld all the values of family love, essentially. And, and it made a – there was at least two parallel plot lines that were really about putting the other person first. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a thing that you don't get that deep very often. At least I don't. I can't offhand think of some that Actually, had that theme that deep. Did we say what the modern. name of this one was? I don't. Oh, even... Cricket on the Hearth. Yeah, I, I, no, so I don't think we like, did actually. <laughs> so if you're like, well, what are you talking about? It's the short story is the, the Cricket on the Hearth, and I'm not sure how to say what the plot is exactly because there's really not a conflict. I felt like until like 
halfway through it. Um, Basically, there's a husband-wife, and there's a father-daughter. And it's basically misunderstandings? Yeah, that's part of it. I mean, the the father-daughter dynamic has a little bit more of a inherent problem in the setup. The daughter is blind. The father has been basically lying to her to make it her seem like her life is a lot better, you know, financially speaking than it actually is. is. Yeah. Um so obviously there's a little bit of tension there. The husband-wife dynamic, the husband is a bit older than the wife and she the wife finds out about Another friend who's getting married, who's betrothed to another older person. Gruff and Tackleton. <laughs> Which is... His one person. Yes. <laughs> he's a very... Col- he's almost like a caricature of Scrooge. If Scrooge was like a uh, an evil toy maker. Yeah, he was. he's kind of like that evil guy from The Christmas That Almost Wasn't. The <laughs> That's the... Is that the a st- theater? The, the, <laughs> what's his name? <laughs> That's what he reminds me of. The, the Mystery Science Theater one we just saw from yeah. uh, the Netflix series. Yeah. <laughs> With the mustache and the... Um, prune. Prune, yeah. yeah. Whatever his first name Actually, was. Actually, if you watch <laughs> it, the, the Christmas Almost Wasn't on Netflix, the Mystery Science Theater, it is actually very Dixonian in some ways. Yeah. Or Dickensian, I guess. Dickensian, yeah. Well, I mean, it's obviously... also ridiculous, but yeah. it's also Dickensian. And yes. the characters. The character, yeah. I mean, it's... Yes, Dickensian thing. Obviously, Prune is a a riff on Scrooge. Like all these yeah. misers are, it's it's hard to think of any kind of miserly character who's not a riff on Scrooge at this point. Yeah, but but this guy's just like I'm old and I don't care, and I'm going to marry a young lady. He she's going to love me. <laughs> it's like so there. He just yeah. He was just like he was just kind of funny because he he knew he was grumpy and he didn't really. He's kind of like one one of the hecklers. <laughs> I mean, like he just doesn't care. He's like yeah, that's who I am. Maybe Waldorf, because Waldorf has got that weird eye thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because yeah, Tackleton has this like little tiny squished up eye that like does all the expression. Yeah. It's, anyways, as normal, the characters are very Dickensian, mm-hmm. which is always enjoyable, but not you know not as overblown as sometimes. Except Tackleton. Yes, he was he was the most overblown. Yeah, it was it was one of these. It took me a while to get into, um, partly because it, the, the story starts. I think I'd been meaning to read this this thing for like twelve years. It starts off slow. It starts off slow. He starts off with this long description of a musical thing between a cricket and a kettle, uh, and, and then a like, clock, and then a clock. I forgot the clock <laughs> joins in. It's it's all quite charming, but also you're like, okay, where's the actual story? <laughs> but. But by the end, I was I was moved a lot more than I yeah, expected. Yeah, it, it's to very be. it's very effective. Mm-hmm. Worth uh, the read, I think. I mean, obviously, if you've never read the actual A Christmas Carol, you should definitely read the yeah, actual. Yeah, that's yeah, it's original. still his best of the ones I've read. But this would be second, I think, over the bells, the chimes, the chimes, the bells is Poe, right? <laughs> it does ring a bell. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, the, uh, did did you have any non book club books you want to talk about? I had about? one. Well, I'm still in the middle of my Sanderson because it's like 2,000 pages or something like that. No, yeah. it's not quite that long. But I took breaks for various things. And I read some of those Black Penguins. But I read a Star Wars book this year that I really enjoyed. Oh, okay. Called Twilight Company. Okay. Cool. It's based on or it tied in with the Battlefield Star Wars game that oh. Battleground Battleground Battlefield. You mean the video game? Yeah, the video game. I think it's Battlefield. Okay. But I really liked it. No, it, Battlefront. Battlefront, that is right. There we go. But it doesn't remotely feel like a like a video game tie-in. Okay. Um, at least not. I never played a game, but I didn't feel like I had missed anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was about Twilight Company's kind of this company of on the vanguard of the Rebel Alliance. This takes place around Hoth, 
Okay. Yeah, they, they end up on Hoth. Mm-hmm. That's the only real connection to the movies. But it's interesting because there's like soldiers on the front line in the trenches, and it's kind of dark. I mean, there's a lot of casualties. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's one of these companies that just gets beat down all the time. That's kind of their job to go into the hard places and get stuff done. Mm-hmm. But they had all these little missions that were really fascinating just to kind of see the down and gritty the Rebel Alliance. And the main character doesn't really buy the Rebel Alliance. Like he doesn't. So it's kind of an interesting thing the author did because the main character doesn't believe in the Rebel Alliance that much. So he's very cynical, but he comes around through subtly to kind of understand kind of the, the ideals of the Rebel Alliance. Okay. Like other people in his troops are all for it and he's not. So it's it's an interesting war story. I mean, it really is a war story. Mm-hmm. And it has some of that cynicism, but it never goes full-blown like whatever, be it Star Wars. And because <laughs> that's kind of the, the arc he has, mm-hmm. the closest thing movie-wise would be Rogue One in the sense that, you know, there's just sacrifice and people die. Yeah. I think you might get some stories like that in the Clone Wars. Netflix. There might be, and I have not I think done. there's some good stories like that in But there. I, like, I, maybe it's been while well, I was in Star Wars or something, but I really liked it. Went into a lot of different worlds. He encounters Vader very briefly in Hoth, and, like, for a normal person counter Vader, like Vader is just frightening. Like, yeah, he just and, and you don't get that a lot when you run around with Luke. You know, it's just. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I really enjoyed it, and I think for you know you want kind of a different take on Star Wars, kind of a gritty mm-hmm. version. They end up on Solistan, you know where uh, Neob Nub's from. Um, he's the co-pilot for um, Lando. Oh, um, Lando. Lando. Yeah, sorry, too much Battle <laughs> Five. Um, and there's an interesting bad lady who kind of defects the alliance and she's a fascinating character her and Khalil probably get along really well <laughs> um anyways cool. it's good stuff neat well i should say some of my other non-book club reading since, since i missed a couple of the book club books but it's partly because i was reading your stuff oh yeah that's true <laughs> i uh, i got through um girl called snort girl called snort again which you had read feedback, which i read and and honestly it, it works better i realize as a complete book then it really does which i'm amazed at because back when you first did it you did it as like a blog so we got these little bite-sized pieces at a time but actually reading it all together is like no this is this is actually really strong work i mean it's it's definitely broken up in the in the parts and into sections and everyone's gonna have their their own interesting section i mean the the kingdom of the blind was it might still be the best i think i might think it's the best it, it may still be the best it was I was a little disappointed. It felt a lot shorter this time. <laughs> That's the one downside I'd say of it. And well, in the boat section, that was that was by far the shortest. So it was like, oh, we're done with that already. Okay. Yep. Um, that's probably because it comes right after Lily Lillian. Which is one of the longest. Yeah, and it's strange. Yeah, it's strange. <laughs> it may still be one of the strangest things you've ever written. <laughs> which is saying a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, but which it, needs published. I just need to make those corrections that you and Greg and Natasha got me, and yeah, and I th- I think there's a there's a cool, there's an audience for there's an one. audience for that one. I feel I feel like I could find a the the quirky YA side, not the not the, like the pop teen YA side, yeah. but, the, but the the ones who like the quirky fantasy, the Neil stuff. Gaiman people. Yes, the Neil Gaiman people would would enjoy this a lot. And I reread books one and two of Strin and Fred because I needed to oh, reread man, it's them. Old to, stuff. It's old stuff, and it was interesting. It was it was fun to go back and refresh my memory of what all this was and it made me realize that book two uh, revenant of dreams 
you really have to market that differently <laughs> from a traditional fantasy because it's yeah. not. No. It's it's a Russian fantasy and traditional fantasy garb. Not even traditional fantasy garb. It's not like, even trying to be fa- traditional fantasy. At that it's point. more like neo fantasy, <laughs> sort of. But it, in a very literary form, I think it has. I think probably the entire series has to be marketed in a more literary way. Mm-hmm. But I don't really know how you do that. I don't exactly. know. Yeah, it's it's the black step. The black. Uh, what, what, redheaded stepchild, black sheep. That oh, was black what I was going sheep. For. Okay, yeah, <laughs> black sheep, redheaded stepchild of the whole thing. But I mean, it's where I cut my teeth learning how to combine lots of all the different things that make up Nick's writing. Uh-huh. <laughs> because I come from a lot of different, you know, between influences, influences, especially at that time. Yeah, I was happy to say I did get to read the first part of book three, and I think it's a great choice that you did to just focus on one. Mm-hmm. Set of the ongoing story it makes a lot more sense. That it works really. It well. works really well for I think that. Pretty powerful. The momentum is quite good. I think. Yes. When going. Yes. I think it's what I've read so far is probably one of the strongest sections of String Fred so far. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to reading more of that. Yeah. <laughs> Soon I'm all, I'm 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 halfway through bo- uh, doing my edits on section two because the section two is like ninety thousand words. Like yeah, a whole book. Then he so like book three is like almost the length of book one and two combined. Yeah, yeah. basically. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Yeah, you telling me? <laughs> <laughs> and there's not even a market for this thing. <laughs> no, but I learned so much stuff writing these, and I I'm very fond of the characters. Hopefully, more of you will get to read these someday. Soon. Well, we'll have to re-release in some sort of interesting way. Yeah, I'm hopeful. I mean, Barking Rain Press has been good for you in a way. But I, I'm hopeful that you could find a wider audience, maybe with Girl Called Snort. Yeah. And then who knows? If you find a good publisher that would be willing to go out on a limb, know go out a limb for you. Not for that one. Maybe after a while. You we'll never see. know. So that was our um, take on Tales. Yes. I and hope. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope maybe you found at least one book that you'll, you'll add to your reading list for the year. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll figure out what we're reading for the rest of our year soon. <laughs> yes, we'll see. Uh, well, for the time being, I'm going to be reading An Ideal Husband. Oh, yes, that's true. Because <laughs> I have a lot of lines to learn here. Previously on. All right, Tim, so you had something you wish to revisit. Yes. I've been listening to a lot of podcasts lately, yes. as you have, can tell. So 99% Invisible did one on Magic the Gathering I saw her, her, that, her finish that today. And this was fascinating to me as someone who has always been kind of interested that other people are interested in Magic the Gathering. But I never... always wanted to play. I remember in high school, people were playing it. And I'm like, man, I kind of wish you could play this game. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm always like, no, that looks like it's too much of a money hole. I'm not going to I'm not gonna yeah. touch that. But it was interesting. They talked about, so it's a card game. But they talked about a lot about the mythology behind the world they created and the story behind it all. And lots of fascinating ideas for how you combine story with a card game. Mm -hmm. But the thing that saddened me that broke my heart really toward the end of it is they talked about how they created this trans character for it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you're creating this thing that has a lot of smart ideas. You're obviously very smart people. But you're blind to the truth that a person is what they are born to be. Like, we're born with our parts the way they are. Mm. We're Our genes, our DNA is designed a certain way. And we can't just say that we can be something else. And the Magic the Gathering fandom accepted this. They're like, cool, this is a great representation, yeah. all this stuff. And it occurred to me that there's this vast, untapped mission field. Mm-hmm. That I think a lot of 
the church doesn't understand. They, mm-hmm. they, don't, they don't know anything about this. And a lot of what they're building into their creation is good stuff. If you had the people to interact with this fandom, with the yeah. people in this. And and I don't know who that is. I mean, I, I, like I'm not a Magic the Gathering person, so I, I would not go into that myself as, as a means to do that. But I would just encourage anyone who is, or it, anyone who knows people who are into that sort of thing and, and don't understand it, to try to understand it. Well, I, I know there's organizations working with trying to get, you know, use fandoms as outreach. I mean, there's Nerd Chapel. That's something that we know someone from Taylor is involved in. Yeah. I know there are groups like that. And I know at Gen Con, I've gone twice now. And both times they, they have a uh, Sunday service um, at a nearby hotel. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty well attended. But anyway, th- I, that's just something I thought of. Again, when we're talking about stories as something that has unhealthy ideas in it, but there's there's an audience there that sometimes I think the local church doesn't know how to reach, and I think your gr- youth group does had a very interesting job in 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 tapping that reaching teens yeah. in a where they're at in yeah. a, some very unique ways. Well, thank you. Beyond just the uh, beyond just the sports fanatic, yeah. so many pastors are are huge into sports, and, and yeah, not, they're they're so. they're the extroverts, and 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 we need more introvert leaders mm-hmm. in those fields. There's so many places where. The church needs to be creating as well or better than the world, and we're always just so far. We not not even behind. Sometimes we just we don't put effort into that, and that's where mm. culture is. Yeah, we fell behind back in toward the beginning of the 20th century. Yeah, Christians were leading the arts back in you know. Rena- I mean, and to a certain extent, culture moved fa- away from what we were creating to a certain extent too. True, but, and you can't. I mean, but we should still have the. We should still have as strong and as excellent stories out there. Whether they get as popular traction is not really up to us. Yeah, that's that's more. Yeah, that's not up to us. That's it's in God's hands. And in a lot of ways, it may be more healthy for the church to focus on local needs rather mm. than yeah trying to reach the internet at large. No, I agree with that. But think- but at the same time, Christians shouldn't be absent from the internet. I mean, mm-hmm. and that's why we're here. Well, and you, churches need storytellers to connect with the. People who are obsessed with stories. Yeah. That's one thing I remember about Fred Rogers, who hated television, so he decided to get his own television program. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like, if this thing's going to be around, we need someone to put some actual good stuff out there. So, you know, that's the way I think the church should be. So, Tim, um, I think maybe we should sneak out of here if we can. I think there's some natives I hear outside, but maybe we can get past them. Hopefully we'll be very... Care. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of inclined to just try to go along the edges of the walls here. Hopefully not brush up against anything. Okay, You go first. Uh, okay, thanks. I, <laughs> I don't like it when you tell me that. Um, in the meantime, uh, assuming we survive this, be sure to leave us a comment at derailedtrainsofthought.blogspot.com. Or drop us a comment on um, at our Twitter page. Yes, at derailedtrains, derailed underscore trains. trains. Or like us on Facebook. Yes, please do. In the meantime, Nick, uh, what's what's your soundtrack? My soundtrack? Well, I, I looked a lot of different places like you did, but I couldn't resist going back to Final Fantasy VI. Because, okay, Kefka sets himself up as God, and he has all these worshipers and whatever. And so there's this actually kind of boring song in the game itself <laughs> called Fanatics. Like most cults, it's kind of monotonous. Yes. But this this remix is quite good from Balance and Ruin. Um, it's remixed by... Balance and Ruin is the... The album, the Final Fantasy VI remix album. Mm-hmm. This is called The Endless Stare, remixed by Argyle. Or, no, Argyle. Not Argyle. Argyle. 
Argle. 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 Um, and it's just um, it's very cultish. Cultish. Yes. <laughs> Enjoy that. It's a good way to go out. It's kind of, um, kind of a creepy, but very. It's kind of creepy, but it's it's a good it's, remix. It's a good remix. So. I hope you enjoy that, and we'll try not to die. Yes, we'll be very careful here. All right, well, until next time, this has been Nick. And this is Tim. Adios. Bye-bye. Peace seeing you.